Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. No, but slow play is bad. Yeah, it drives people nuts. Slow play is bad. You yeah. know, you if, if I owned the golf course and there was slow play, I would walk out with a checkbook and I would say, how much money did you pay to be initiated into this golf club? I'm writing you a check. Get off this course and never, ever walk here again. This is General George Washington and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. And if you think that is harsh, if you think I'm the only one who would do something like that, we have this email from our friend Jeff Pickett, who says, your check-writing solution to slow play made me think of Bob Parsons of PXG fame. PXGs are those clubs, we only sell them ourselves, they're the best clubs, (laughs) you know, PXG clubs. A lot of pros use PXG clubs. Legend has it that at Scottsdale National Golf Club, which is owned by Parsons, of which Wilbon is a member. It is owned 100% by Bob We have Parsons. to play that short uh, par three course. Yeah. There is a policy by which one member is voted out every year. Ooh, Presumably, this could be for slow play or other boorish behavior. Here's the kicker. The voting includes club members and staff. Would love to see this standard applied at other one percenter hangouts. Also, it begs the question, if this were the standard of Columbia, how would you fare? I think I'd stay because I play fast. Yeah. I mean, I, I play fast and I'm chatty. And I don't throw clubs. I'm not, you know, I don't have any disciplinary problems. I don't get drunk, you know, on the course. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good, right? I'm pretty good. Yeah. Played 18 yesterday, I just love, I love that you assume everyone plays at a private club. What'd you pay, what'd, what'd you pay for your initiation? Here's the check. Oh, well, no. I mean, well, I would do it at a public course. Yeah. How much for the day, for the day round? Here's right. the money. And here's an extra 10. Get out. <laughs> Slow play. Get yeah, out. Two prices. Play yeah. under 345. You get a discount. You know. Play over. Oh, sure. Oh. That, that'd That's be fine. Program. That'd be fine. But, so, you know, I played yesterday. I was so fortunate yesterday. It has been raining in Washington, not heavy rain, but significant rain and significant drizzle covering, I don't know, 16 or 18 of the 24 hours of the day in the last three or four days, right? Fair just to say. Like a, a, a heaviness hangs in the air. Yeah. But to, the, to be fair, through the first four months of the year, we were in a pretty yeah. significant drought. So I'm, I, you know, I'm okay with it, but I never thought they would let carts out of Columbia yesterday. And I got the email in the morning, course conditions, said no restrictions. I didn't trust it. I called the course, called the pro shop. They said, better get over here in a hurry. <laughs> no, because you never know when they're going to lift it and put the restrictions back on. And I got to play all 18 yesterday. We played in two hours and 53 minutes, 18 holes, four guys in carts. And it was lovely. And when I was coming, 15 is a blind tee shot. It's an up tee shot. You get to the crest of a ridge. I can't hit it over the ridge. Can't even hit it to the top of the ridge anymore. Uh, and then you have sh- a shot facing down, you know, into a green, into like a bowl green. And who do I see as I come up? I've just hit my second shot, which I thought was a really good thought shot. it was going to bounce up. Yeah, I thought it was going to get on the green. I liked it a lot. Hit a, f- a f- uh, five rescue. Who do I see but my son in the sand trap area practicing? <laughs> yeah, practicing. Dad's wearing his full beanie. It, it warmed up by that time, but you, you are cold on the golf course. And he gave me the, the full Forrest Gump wave. Yeah, you know, so I was so happy to see him. <laughs> That's great. Made me so happy, and it was a wonderful morning. I, it was a totally unexpected morning. Um, we have something to play for you. We got this from Rich Johnson, who writes, I'm not sure exactly what the crowd was chanting about two-thirds of the way through the second quarter of the Seattle-DC XFL playoff game. Was that in DC by any chance? Yeah, but it was. Okay, because D.C. plays an Audi field, a 20,000-seat stadium that usually 
hosts the soccer yeah, United and guess. sells it out. They apparently do very well. I guess the D.C. franchise, I don't know anything about it. The D.C. franchise has done very, very well. Here's what play-by-play announcer Tom Hart said. And the crowd engaged in a hearty la cheeserie to the folks from Seattle. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable, right? Yeah. What? Well, nobody was saying la cheeserie. He just said that. He just said that. And, and we find it, and we, of course, highlight it. Yes. So that's the disappointment in my life that, that I went on the PTI show the other day and praised Maureen Dowd, and she hasn't contacted me. Anyway, come on. Come on. What are you talking about? Praise Kerry Russell yesterday. He's fully expecting a contact. Fully expecting a contact. But Tom Hart. Yeah, that's, how about, yeah, that's great. Play it again. The, the, this is so great. And the crowd engaged in a hearty la cheeserie to the folks from Seattle. Just wonderful. Well, the DC has history with uh, Seattle and football playoff games. <laughs> that's true. We're usually on the losing end of that. But yeah. I know this, hearing that and just seeing the amount of people who are going to that, what I would call a boutique inside the city stadium, uh, it's a reminder of everything that we've lost as soon as they moved out to FedEx Field. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's right next to um, National State. Not right next to it. Right, but you, also have, you now have there. an influx of young professionals who have the disposable income who can go to a game like that as an afternoon activity. So we think it's about $20, bucks, to $25 to go to a game like that? I bet if you're all in to get into, this, into the arena and have a couple of beers with your friends, you're probably looking at $75. But it's a, it's, all the seats are good because it's only 20000 Yeah, Yeah, it's a nice cozy stadium. Good. Let me tell you something that happened to me yesterday. Tracy sent me an email from a website called Awful Announcing. And I've seen Awful Announcing before. I'm sure they've ripped me a number of times. Those are the Monday night years. You know, yeah, they just killed me. So they say in it that Comcast has dropped the NFL Network and the Red Zone. They've dropped the Red Zone. So, I mean, I think you people know me well enough to know that I don't know how to do streaming. I don't know how to cut the cord. I don't know how to pick a la carte things that I want on television. I have no idea how to do these things. I'm an old man, and I'm used to cable. And I pay far more for cable every month than I should. I pay like $260, $270 for cable, whereas I'm quite confident that if I streamed and only got what I wanted, it wouldn't be anywhere near that much money. But it's impossible to get only what you want. Streaming oh. is now the new cable where you have to buy up into all these uh, you know, these upgrade packages. So it would still even, be 260 or $270? When you start adding up all the secondary streaming services and then what's on top of those, and it's like cable where you can't get away with it. Like, you need to have local sports, and you need yeah. to have, to this point, you needed uh, Red Zone. I need the Red Zone. The Red Zone is the most important sports channel in the United States of America. If other sports could do that, they would do that. The great advantage for football is almost all the games are played at the same day, you know, and people make appointment to see them. And you, you, you can do it because they're structured six or seven games in the early window, four or five games in a late window, and then you bleed into the Sunday night. It's, it's a brilliant concept. You're going to cancel that. Who's running Comcast? Ari Melber? Somebody doesn't know anything about sports whatsoever. You can't. Now, this panicked me yesterday. I think you're sort of missing the larger issue here, which is the the NFL Sunday ticket was sort of up for grabs, and YouTube made a big play for it. So now this is going to be exclusive to YouTube TV. So that's going to drive all the people to YouTube. And it's actually, it would be easier to maintain whatever few streaming services you want, or like a basic cable package, you just wish you could look at them and be like, well, add 
add my regional baseball and give me access to a couple of national games, bundle that with the YouTube TV, and that's easier to know exactly where you're going. I've never seen YouTube TV. I don't know what it is. You haven't been to Chance House. I don't year. have, like, there's not a channel on my clicker that says YouTube. So I don't know how to do that. Yeah. I just want the red zone at number 861 on Comcast. And when they, when Tracy sent me this, I went insane. Yeah. I said, I will drop Comcast today. I will buy whatever cable system picks up the NFL Network red zone, you know, with Scott Hansen. I will do that. McManus got on and said, I, I think this may be false reporting. Uh, there may be, that may only apply to the cable, uh, to the satellite one that Andrew Siciliano does, which I don't get. And then later in the day, Tracy sent me another link, which purported that Roger Goodell called up, I believe the name of the guy who owns Comcast is Brian Golden, if you could look that up. I think that may be his name. It's Brian Gordon, Brian, Brian Roberts. Is Brian Roberts, maybe? Does that sound right? Owns Comcast, Brian Roberts? Brian Roberts was the golf announcer. And the baseball player, uh, the manager. Yeah, that's the Brian Roberts I remember. Uh, owner of Comcast. Owner second. of Comcast. So this was another story on awful announcing that Roger Goodell. Brian Roberts. Brian Roberts, yeah. thank you very much. <laughs> that they had a phone conversation and now it's back. And now it's back. Nice. I don't believe any of this at the moment. And I'm stating that as, as fine a relationship as I've had with Comcast over X amount of years, if they drop the red zone, we kick them to the curb and we find the next thing yes. that puts the red zone back good luck, on. Good luck trying to cancel Comcast. What do you mean? It'll take forever. You sure we can't offer you this new deal? That's no, like the whole strategy. No, the yeah, red the zone. deal with the red zone. That's offer, the one I want. Yes, the red zone. You offer me the red zone where I can press three numbers and get it, yeah. and I'll stay with you. It'd be mean, like driving... Is it time for me to get streaming? Are you saying it's as expensive as everything else? I, look, you can, you can break it down. I'd say for you, what you would probably end up doing is just using getting the HD dog ears that you attach to the back of your TV. You get over-the-air HD local channels... And then you can try and find the packages that you need. Like everything with cable, this is why you're able to make a career on TV. People are paying for stuff they don't watch and never want to watch. You don't want to watch me. No, I understand. I will say the for YouTube. You understand this. You were born into this world. I am not of this world. I'm I'm a very narrow window where I was born pre-internet and then sort of have grown up in the internet era. Right. So so you understand these things. But I prefer if you just give me a clicker and just say let me go to 861 or I want to turn on the baseball game and I memorized where it is rather than having to log in or remember passcodes to various streaming services. I assume that because of Don Olmeyer, the answer to all your questions is money, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying to figure out why, why would come, why would you drop the red zone? Uh, Doesn't make the red zone. Everybody watches the red zone on Sunday. They, even if they watch their own team and they are loyal to their own team, they are going back and forth to red zone right yeah i just think how much has the red zone changed i mean how long have you been watching red zone about 10 years as long as it's been on so think about how long deals might have been in place where people are double dipping into various axes of the red zone so if something is up for grabs and i buy it i want to make sure someone else is not able to use it as well and that's a lovely global view and my view is more particular it is 861 (laughs) i want to press it well, I want to press it one minute before it starts so I can hear the, the music. music. Yes. It's all about the music. I can get the Octobox. I want to do that. <laughs> That's what I want to do. The Red Zone. One other question. Who is Lisa Kearney? Lisa Kearney. K-E-R-N-E-Y. She's on these 
um, FanDuel commercials. Okay. She does the thing where she interviews the people. You know, it's a setup thing. So-and-so just won in the third inning, and she asks him a couple of questions. Is she an actress? Is she a, a sports person? Sports person. Yeah. She seems familiar to me, and she I don't know ESPN. from when. Yeah. Uh, she did work at ESPN? Yep. Until 2018, it says, yes. What did, I, don't, I don't know her. I've never met her. But she looked familiar to me. Okay, well, now she's doing those commercials. And they put her name up. When they put someone's name up, you think, well, I, I should know, know this who person. this is. All yes. right, we'll get out of here. Chuck Culpepper, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. It's always good when Michael Granberry sends an artist for us to listen to. And he writes, in my ongoing quest to introduce you to the country's best indie songwriters, I'm thrilled to bring you the music of Heather Aubrey Lloyd, who makes her home close to your own backyard. Born in Baltimore, Heather calls herself a recovering journalist. She once worked as a reporter for the Baltimore Sun, but left 20 years ago to pursue a career in music. University of Maryland alumni has spent the last two decades playing what she calls bait shops, biker weeds, and clothing optional resorts all over this great land. Now she's a welcome fixture on YouTube. She describes her musical influences as a mixture of Janis Joplin and Joni Mitchell, with a voice as full and passionate as it is vulnerable. The combination of that voice and Heather's writing place are in the pantheon of female singers proud to have made Baltimore their home. It is, of course, quite a list, extending to Billie Holiday, Tori Amos, Tony Braxton, and Cass Elliott. And I didn't know all that. This is a song called Even Now. And you know, as Jackson Brown says... But that girl can sing. <laughs> I know. That girl can sing. She plays in Chuck Culpepper. Chuck wrote a great story the other day about visiting the resting place of the late great secretariat and how many people visit the resting place of the late great secretariat and how many people in charge of that were born after secretariat passed. It was a great story on the 50th anniversary of Secretariat's Triple Crown. And before I ask you a question, I'll just reminisce a little bit. In 1973, Secretariat, I believe Ron Turcott was the jockey, won the uh, first two legs of the Triple Crown by defeating a horse called Sham. Sham, I believe, finished second in the Derby and second in the Preakness. And then in the Belmont, Secretariat ran out won it by 31 lengths, the greatest triumph in the history of big-time horse racing, and broke Sham's heart. This broke Sham's heart. I mean, Sham, you know, horses know who's beating them. You know, horses aren't, horses can't add 12 and 15, but horses know who's beating them, right? Broke Sham's heart. The biggest regret in my entire career in journalism, my entire career, I was at Newsday at the time, and Newsday sports editor was Stan Isaacs, who I dearly loved. And he put together a team of 10 or 12 people that were going to cover every inch of that Belmont Stakes in anticipation of this Triple Crown. And I wasn't on the team. There was no story for me. I didn't get to go to the Belmont. I didn't get to do anything having to do with it. So I sat home and I watched it. And I will tell you, as I've told people forever and ever and ever, it's the single 
greatest thing I've ever seen in, in television. And it's just so great. I mean, the horse goes out and kills it. So I bored you. Chuck, Chuck probably left. He probably isn't even on the line. But I thought you'd like to hear that story, you know? Because, I mean, I'm one of those people that has that fondness for Secretariat, and you ran into those sorts of people, right? I did, and, and I had a lot of questions for you about that, like how you spent that evening, the morning or whatever, that you hadn't, that you hadn't been there. I've, I kind of expected you to say that you were there. We're both I, I wanted to be there. Alums. Yeah. We were both, yeah. I wanted to be there. I wasn't. Yeah. I didn't make the cut. I didn't make the cut, and so I was. I watched it on TV and spent my whole day waiting for it, because that was. There's never been. I don't think there's ever been. Well, certainly in my lifetime, as great a, a sense of anticipation for a race as for that. When was that? The first Triple Crown in X amount of years, right? Twenty-five at that time. And yeah, that's always forgotten because then we went from what seventy-eight to fifteen, which was longer, of course. 37 without one. Yeah, but there were three in a, in a very small period of time. Yes. So yes. And so, I mean, I really, and in those days, horse racing and boxing were really major sports. And if you could cover horse racing and boxing, that was a way of saying to your friends, I'm good. I've made it. And I didn't make the cut. I did not. So, anyway. Well, you were awfully young. Yeah, but other guys at Newsday were my age. No, I didn't make the cut. It's okay. So, but I want to ask this. How do you explain, and you've seen it firsthand, the worship of the horse? Was it his looks? Was it his owner? Was it the romance of, of that period of time? How do you explain? You've, you've had to grapple with this. So the, the, I, I do find it really curious is how it's held on so strongly for 50 years. The movie helped to some degree, I think, especially for people who were not born at that time. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think the, the foremost matter in this is, is how it looked and how human memory works and how that just the sheer power of it uh, registered somehow in the human consciousness, even if you go and watch it on, on YouTube or wherever. And I think that's the thing that is held, and it's that one race. And by the way, if you go look at the Preakness that year, there he makes a move in there that's just absolutely just captivating. Didn't he but set records about, in every horse race? Didn't he set all, the record? He holds them still yeah. in all three. And that's another, you know, how in the world has have none of those fallen in all this time? So that's another thing that that uh, that makes it, you know, makes it hang on the way that it does, this fascination. And then I often wonder about the name as well. I think the name, I can, I can never figure out if the horse made the name so powerful or, or the name itself is so powerful, but it's a great name. And, and it's a name that kind of rings in the head. And I think it, it's a, by now, of course, it's a name that if anyone says it, it just means greatness. So, but I think above all the factors, owner certainly included. Penny Tweedy, uh, yeah. Yeah, and people still put pennies on the grave for her on top of the gravestone. That was a lovely part of the piece. They dropped because it was Penny Tweedy who later remarried and had a different name when she passed. But they put pennies on the gravesite. It's, yeah. So there's a lot to it, but I think that that look of of how that looked. The, I used to I used to have a T-shirt, and I bought two of them because uh, I knew one would wear out, of course. But of Turcotte looking back down, he he crane, he, you know, arches his neck and looks back down the 
the stretch. To He's see who might 31 be there. lengths no, ahead. And, you and can I, barely even see anybody yeah, else. Yeah, I can't stress this enough. These are the best horses, the best three-year-old horses in America. There's no mutts in this thing. These are really good horses. And this is the classic distance. This is the mile-and-a-half Belmont. If it was foggy, Turcotte couldn't see any other horse. It's it's triumphant beyond words. I, I mean, 50 years later, I can totally recall it. I've never seen a sporting event like you could say, okay, Greg Norman choked in the playoff in the Masters. But this is this is a triumph, the likes of which I don't know that we've ever seen. This would be like the Yankees playing a Little League team, in effect. I mean, it's unbelievable, right, Chuck? It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's, it's And it's that one thing, um, I think, that, that holds this fascination alive the most. And, you know, the great... Tom Callahan once wrote a column in the Washington Post, I believe, in 1993 on the 20-year mark, where he, he, I think in there he referred to Jack Nicholas watching that on TV and just being, you know, sort of fading down out of his seat onto the floor at the whole perfection of it, because here's someone who had really pursued perfection in his life, and now he was seeing it. So, I mean, I don't know that I said this, but if I were writing the movie and I was sitting in in my living room watching this, I'd be on the phone saying, are you looking at this? Are you looking at this? Because he draws further and further away, and it's a beautiful horse. He, Secretariat was a big, big, beautiful horse, and it was with each stride he drew further away. It was amazing, right? Right, and Jamie Corum, the woman who who's painted a mural of him in in Paris, Kentucky, and has painted the the bottle of Woodford Reserve where he's he's on the front of the honorary bottle. She she thinks that his you know his composition and how he looked is part of it too. You know, it, yes, he's he's beautiful when he runs. He's beautiful, and then yeah, and when he draws so far so far away from the others, and also think about that race you're not supposed to move as quickly as he did in that race you're supposed to hang on more long race spend yourself yeah and just move quickly didn't care you know was a was a machine totally run into daylight i mean uh, oblivious of everything else around look i mean here's what i did when when espn i'm old so i had something to do with this there was a wonderful series right around the turn of the century, a little bit before that, called Sports Century, looking back at the 1900s in sports. And it was orchestrated fully by Mark Shapiro, who filmed everybody and had all the comments and asked a bunch of people, and I was one of them. I made the cut on this, and this is before I worked at ESPN, um, to list the 50 greatest athletes of the 20th century. And Wilbon never lets me forget this, and I don't want to forget it. I had Secretariat 8th. It's a horse. It's a horse. Three races. That's all. And I would have put Secretariat second if I had any nerve. I mean, I, thought, I felt you had to put Babe Ruth first because of what Babe Ruth did for sports. I mean, I felt the top three had to be Babe Ruth and um, Michael Jordan uh, and, and Muhammad Ali. I mean, uh, most people would, would sort of agree with that. Other, there are other people in there. But I had Secretariat eighth. And Wilbon would say, how can you do that? It's a horsey. And I go, because, because the triumphs were so amazing and so consistent and it's you know three races right chuck in five weeks i mean it tests you it breaks horses doesn't it right right and it 
And again, that 25-year uh, drought at the time with citation in 1948, that was a big conversation point in the whole country at that point. You know, that it, everyone was kind of starved to see it again. And, 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 and here is this thing that's so hard to do. And here's this thing that was done with such like dispatch. So you don't, you don't think it's dopey or ludicrous that people, you know, still, but I don't know that they mourn the horse, but that they want to go see the grave. You don't think that's crazy. Do you? I don't think it's crazy. It, it tells us something about people. I think something that reaches into people, maybe in a way that we can't even explain. And so I'm fascinated by it in that regard, how there are people who now that, of course, the Internet has come along since Secretary died and people who meet each other because they've been online talking about Secretary, you know, people from different parts of the country and um, and who retain this fascination for him and collect art of him. And and no, I, I just find it. I think it's charming. Yeah. The late, great Bill Knack wrote a million stories uh, about Secretariat. A million. I loved him. I mean, he, yeah. was, he was the chronicler of horse racing in a different way than Andy Byer, a much different way. And Knack was great about this. Are you staying? Are you going to be at the race? Are you going to be yeah. in Lexington for the race? Yes, I'll be. I'll be here. I'll be at the race, yes. So our friend, uh, Mr. Mallet, who paints for us, is touting this Japanese horse. Do you know anything about the Japanese horse? Well, this, it's fascinating because... He, you know, the horses who win that UAE Derby in in Dubai and that yeah. that great uh, cruise ship of a of a track that they have there called Maiden. Um, he, th- those horses do not tend to fare well. They don't win in the Derby. No, nope. uh, they don't. They have. I believe it's 0 for 18 in just hitting the board. Oh, so, okay. So win place. That's why, you know, you figure somebody has to break that at some point, and there are a lot of people who really know the game, who really like this horse in this case. But I think this is one of those deals, and until it's done, you're just going to have to write it off. I agree with that. So when I, when I started covering the Derby, it was like the 1980s, um, mid-1980s, early mid-1980s. And you would go to Lexington, and everybody stayed. What was the hotel? The Galt or something like the that? The Galt House, well, right. Galt the Galt House. Mm-hmm. And that was the number one hotel that everybody stayed at. And in those days, now I'm going back 40 years, in those days, you know, you could get a room at a hotel for between $85 and $125. And I wrote a column once about how I always wanted to know what it was like to stay in a $300 a night hotel room, because that was really a lot of money in those days. And I said, I found out because overnight, the Galt upped my rate to $325 for the exact same room because the Derby people were coming in. I said they, they changed the menu a little bit, but now I was staying in a $325 a night room. I felt great about that. Do people still, is that hotel still exist? Do you stay there? I, I haven't stayed there in a, I haven't stayed there since the Derby in the nineties. So, right. Uh, but it, you know, people in, I used to live in Kentucky for nine years. Um, people in Kentucky all over the state used to, you know, if your if your team made the, the basketball sweet 16 high school, you know, big event. And, uh, and it was in Louisville. You wanted to stay there. You know, it was a, it was a dream of many. Well, I got it easy. I just stayed there. And then all of a sudden they jacked up the rates the next day. Is Baffert still banned from the Derby? Is he in or out? Yes, yes he is still banned. 
Wow. Um, for, I'm, for, I believe this will be the last band occasion, and then next year is the 150th Derby, and I believe he can be back then, but I double-checked that. Of course, we're going to have Andy on the show tomorrow, because we can't have the Derby without Andy Byer, but do you right. have a horse that you're touting in this one, Chuck? I love this horse, uh, Practical Move, and the real hard boots don't really. Uh, they've sort of gone off and since his win in the Santa Anita Derby, which was a, he had a cavalry in behind him on the, in the stretch, and he held them all off, but I fall in love with stories, and I just love, he has these two owners from Albuquerque who, uh, a married couple in their 60s, and the the wife and the couple, Leslie, used to train, and we went to interview her yesterday, and she trained horses as a woman in the 80s in in Arizona, New Mexico, and Colorado, and I said, how did you... How did you get them to accept you? And she said, I just kicked their asses. So I'm <laughs> really into to that one. Uh, so. Well, your, your stuff is just a joy to read. And I'm sorry to have monopolized this conversation with my own shabby little life, but I felt it would be fun. So, Well, I just need to say that I worked at Newsday. I loved it. And Stan Isaacs is lovable, but that was a staffing error. Yeah, that's, what, <laughs> that's how I say it. Thanks, yeah. Chuck. Yeah. Talk to you Thank soon. Thank you so much, Tony. Okay. Chuck Culpepper, he's a great writer, and he's lived everywhere. He's lived everywhere. Uh, We'll be back with Richard Justice. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is, once again, Heather Aubrey Lloyd and Michael Granberry writes, Since becoming a full-time musician, Heather has racked up a slew of awards, which include Album of the Year from the Songwriters Association of Washington and the Emerging Artist Honor bestowed by the National Women's Music Fest. She journeyed all the way to the Rocky Mountains to capture the top four Telluride Troubadour Award. Plus, she was named the 2019 Grand Prize winner of the prestigious Bernard Ebb Songwriting Award. I wonder if that's Candor and Ebb who wrote musicals. She gives her approval to play what I think are her two best ballads, I Don't Know What I Want, and Even Now. This is I Don't Know What I Want. This is Heather Aubrey Lloyd. And Michael, if people like Heather Aubrey Lloyd want their music played on this show, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. And our great thanks to Michael Granberry, as always. Um, Richard Justice is with us. You went on, you went on a trip. How was your trip? Um, it was wonderful. Um, CBS Sunday Morning, I don't know if you watched that show a couple of years ago, they did a piece on Elizabeth and Sophie Mincili, uh, who do food tours. And uh, we took a food tour to Puglia. Stanley Tucci did one of his Searching for Italy uh-huh. segments. So four days in Rome and about five days in Puglia. And uh, holy smoke, did we eat. How was, was there any type of food or any certain dish where you said, this is the best thing I've ever had in my life? Yeah, there, there was one dish called, I think it's called asami. It's, it's, a, it's peculiar to a restaurant in Rome. And basically you take... You take olive oil in a skillet, put some dried chilies in, and then put dry spaghetti on top of it. Cook it that way, add some marinara. It's crunchy, it's peppery. Um, Sophie highly recommended we all try. It was a little group, 10 people on the tour in Puglia. We had Rome to ourselves. We had our own tour guide in Rome. And it's, you know, I guess it's one of those things you should, everybody should do once in their life. But, uh, 
it, they out of they took us out in the country to Matera and uh, and Monopoly and all these places, and it was uh, the Menchili women know what they're doing. At any point at any of these dinners, did the Pope drop by and say hi? No, but we got <laughs> had a law. <laughs> you know, the thing about the Vatican is oh, that you could go every day for a year and not be able to absorb it all. And our tour guide, a woman named, uh, an Australian woman named Caitlin Miller, by the time we got to the end of the Sistine Chapel, we were so overwhelmed with information that it was hard to appreciate it all. No, we didn't see the Pope, but I, I think in a, in a morbid sense, the Pope had been sick just before we got there, oh. and we're thinking, well, you know what we were thinking. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. But, but, uh, but, but, but uh, the Circus Maximus in Rome, where the gladiators fought and yeah. all that, Springsteen's going to play there. Uh, later uh, in the summer, and I think there's chairs for about 500 people, and there are going to be 150,000 people there drinking and standing. And uh, it's not your scene, and it's not my scene, but it's Bruce. So yeah, wow. I wonder if Liz will go to that one or Sands. <laughs> if Sands, hey, well, will go I don't to that know. One. Uh, you know, the thing about the Bruce tour, this 2023 Bruce tour, is that the the video of each of each stop is phenomenal. I mean, you feel like you were there. I've only been to one of the shows, but I've watched the Tampa show, the Austin show. and But, it, Tony, at the one in Houston, for about a month for Texas Monthly, I've been shadowing Greg Popovich. Oh. And, you know, I, I, and I know you don't like the guy. No. I love the guy. I love what he stands for. <laughs> but he can be, what's the word, cantankerous? Yeah, okay. At the Bruce show in Houston. I keep looking at the guy like three rows in front. They're bringing him armbands. They're bringing him shirts. And I'm thinking, I recognize that guy. And it was Popovich. And my wife, Marty, says, well, as he starts to leave, he's leaving during the last encore. He, she says, uh, you should yell at him and tell him, hey, I'll be calling. <laughs> I said, yeah, I think that would probably be the worst thing I could do. Oh, well, I'm glad you had such a wonderful time. It was good. Thank you for good. asking. Good. Uh, Bryce Harper comes back in, in an hour and a half. Like, right? I mean, he has Tommy John. Suddenly he's back. He's playing. He went 0 for 4. Um, obviously, I, I watched the clips of that. But what are your thoughts of how quickly he came back? And, and by the way, this is an operation. What if he's on the bases and has to slide? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, what if they get into a roster crunch uh, in a game and he has to play, play. first base? And he may play, play first base. And a, a scout, old scouts will tell you this. The great ones never get hurt. Now, that's not exactly true, but it's more true than you think. The great players never get hurt, and also the great players are just woven together differently than everybody else. And that's never been more true of anyone than Bryce Harper. I've never been around a player that loved the moment, loved the spotlight. You know, I've had great players tell me, I said, boy, I guess that was fun being up there in the bottom of the ninth. They look and go, get out of here. I hate that. Bryce loves that, and that's been true from the moment he showed up on the mall in Washington and played in that softball game the day before his first game at Nats Park. And so, I, I mean, I, I, there's a story about Bryce in the Arizona Fall League. Bottom of the ninth inning, they're down by one, and he tells – he's 18 or 17 or something. He tells the guys in the dugout, if this guy gets on base – I'm going to turn the lights out on this bleep. And uh, the guy got on, and he hit a ball that no one has ever found. And that that's he has everything we've expected of him. Yes. Uh, he surpassed. Now, is he a Hall of Famer? He's not a Hall of Famer. He has missed a lot of time. And one of the challenges the Nationals had, as you well know, 
was to tell him, you don't have to play 105 miles an hour every night. You don't have to run into every wall, steal every base, because it's going to take a toll on your body, and it has. But he is one of those people that the other guys on the other, the guys on the other team stop and watch him take batting practice. He, there is an electricity around Bryce Harper. So the idea that he could come back in 160 days and bat, that's Bryce Harper. You mentioned Hall of Fame with Bryce Harper. This leads me to something. Jacob DeGrom, 1,300 innings, Richie. That's yeah. all he's pitched. Warren Spahn did that in three years. Right. 1,300 innings. Now, uh, is he a Hall of to, Famer? Can you make a case for him? You can. You know, uh, Chris Russo has a, like a formula where he goes, he goes through each guy. He, does a simp- he simplifies it. Each guy's season, Hall of Fame season, Hall of Fame season, not Hall of Fame season. That, and he looks for... Ten of those Hall of Fame seasons before he before he declares a guy a Hall of Famer. So we're not there yet with any of those guys. You know, Harper. I what? what how many? You know, Colfax had a short career, yes, right? Yes. And there's never been anyone like him. Yes. Uh, and so I think we're in that category with him. In that, you know, talking about Harper, he's won the MVP twice. Otherwise, he's never even been in the top ten. I think only gotten MVP votes one other time. When DeGrom goes out there, he's beyond great. All-star every year, MVP votes, Cy Young votes every year. But you're right. He's started 215 games. Well, what's his career? He's got 84 wins. He's won won 84 games. So, I mean, Sandy Koufax's limited career had 175 wins. Yeah, and also Koufax pitched every inning yeah. that they, <laughs> when they gave him the yeah. ball. So, yeah, you're going to have to factor that. I would say in the case of both, now DeGrom is 34 years old. Yes. So we're pretty close to writing that story. In the case of Bryce Harper, he will turn 31 in October, and so the next five years will tell the tale on what, it, what he's going to be. I wouldn't underestimate him. But I think in the, somebody in The Athletic wrote this, um, Andy McCullough, that it's sort of sad watching – Jacob DeGrom pitch because he is at that point, he has been hurt often enough that every pitch he throws, while it may be as good as any pitch any guy in history has ever thrown, it could be his last. And the Rangers went into this with their eyes open. You know, they'll be criticized for giving him a five-year, $185 million deal and all that. But if you were a fan of a team, would you rather, you, you would rather have the ownership take a chance and spend yes. some money and say, we're doing everything we can. As opposed to some teams there, you may know locally, that just say, see you later, Trey, see you later, Bryce. That's right. That's your 100% right. But I, and for bringing them up, of course, I'll bring up Strasburg. Strasburg right. doesn't, Strasburg's never going to pitch another game. He may pitch an inning. He's not going to pitch a whole game. Strasburg right. has more wins. Strasburg has more innings than DeGrom. And they're the same age. Yeah. Um, you know, Strasburg's a complicated guy. Like, in the, both, in the case of Corbin and Strasburg, what was the championship worth to you in 2019? They will always have that. They, they will did always have yes. what that they stepped up in the biggest yes. moment and were at their best, including in Game 7. Um, yeah, you just have to factor all of that in. What, Strasburg has what? He has 113 wins, right? That's 30 and more he, than DeGrom. Right, and how many times has Steven Strasburg pitched 200 innings? Twice in his career. How many times has he been in the top five of Cy Young voting? One time. Yeah. One time in That's his right. career. So it's, it's just not there. He's in, like Harper, 
He's one of those guys, you stop what you're doing and watch him. Remember those first games when he was pitching for the Nationals? Yes. You couldn't turn the TV no, off. No, you had to watch You'd him. never seen numbers like that on the radar gun, and you just thought this guy's best ever. But it hasn't, health-wise, it hasn't held up. God, I'll get you out of here on this. I watched the Pirates recently because I took two or three from the Nats. Who's their manager? He looks like he escaped from someplace. <laughs> Who is that he guy? Is, uh, he is, that's Derek. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's a good one. Yeah, that's Derek Shelton. He's uh, he's from the Tampa Bay, the Joe Madden managerial, the Andrew Friedman managerial tree, right. and uh, they're doing a great job. You know, like t- t- Baltimore is winning the traditional way. You look at all those kids they have. Those yes. are kids. In the case of the Pirates, they've Ben Sherrington, the GM there, has made acquisitions, affordable acquisitions and brought Andrew McCutcheon back, which has been a wildly popular. Um, and guys like, they, they have guys, young guys like Castro, Cabrian Hayes that everybody knows. He's, he's from around here. But it's, it's a different way to do it. It's a mixture. Where Baltimore is just saying, we're all in with the kids. If, 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 you're, if you're 22, you're too old for us. Come on up. Uh, but it's fun to watch, and it's good for the game. But in a lot of these cases, as in Baltimore, you've lost for so many years that can you get the people to come back? How do you feel? You covered the O's. You covered them for the Washington Post. Yes. How do you feel seeing how promising they are right now? Well, Adley Rushman's going to win an MVP. He's one of the best prospects ever, and and so far he has fulfilled it. And he is one of those guys that when he walks in the room, he owns the room. But they and you know and so what you're seeing is fabulous. Mount Castle, all those guys, those those young pitcher, Grayson Rodriguez. But Tony, there's more coming. Matt Holiday's son Jackson looks like he's ready. A kid from the University of Arkansas, Heston Kerstad, he looks like he's ready. I mean, they are loaded. But again, remember, you go into this, you pay the price. You lose a hundred games, yeah. three years in a row. And in the case of Baltimore, it's there's a little, little the Buck Showalter era. Otherwise. They've lost for 20 years, and people find that they can live without it. Can you ever get them back? I believe the Nationals now have a higher attendance, and it's under 20,000, than the Orioles. Can you convince them to come back this summer in Maryland and make, make Camden Yards you know, a wild place again? That would be great because it, it's a beautiful ballpark. It, that would be a, a really good thing. Welcome home. Thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Richie Justice, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. I love this. This is the actual Missouri marching band. <laughs> it's, it's just this is best. incredible that they would do this. It's a university marching band. It's a Big 12 school. Graduation's coming up. Are they SEC? Are they an SEC school? I think they're a They're a big-time school. Big school, Missouri. Yeah, big-time school. Big-time journalism program. Yes. Yes. 
They had to learn that. And they played it. It's simply fantastic. It always reminds me of a baloney jingle. Fantastic. <laughs> My baloney has a first name. Uh, Bethesda Bagel. Oh, Bethesda Bagels. Hot bagels Got today. the hot bagels today. Very excited about that. We love Bethesda Bagels. You will as well. Hot Just, means they were cooked today. They're cooked, they, yeah, fresh this morning. Yeah. yeah very they're still smiling. Yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> you can't wait to divide these bagels. Yeah. Uh, just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, Levon wears his war wounds like a crown. He calls his child Jesus because he likes the name. And he sends him to the finest school in town. Levon, Levon likes his money. He makes a lot, they say. Spends his days counting in a garage by the motorway. <laughs> That's how Elton John says it. In a garage yes. by the motorway. Thanks to our guest Chuck Culpepper, Richard Justice. Thanks to our sponsors, Game Time Books. And Policy Genius, remember you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, please leave us a review. Doesn't okay. feel like it, but it is spring here. Uh, we have a new Johnny O code for you. What is it? Uh, rain? TK5. TK5. F-I-V-E. You want to guess why? No, I don't know. Well, I could go for the old promo code of Tony K. We got TK when you go five wide. May, your fifth month. Oh, Or we're celebrating the five RBI from your favorite national, Dominic, Dominic Smith, Smith he's through the, the month of April. Oh, he's he's the worst fire. player in the major leagues. He's the worst. He can't hit at all. He's, he's starting to hit the last two games. He he gets one hit a game. It just is meaningless. Yeah, inconsequential. He, he got a home run the other day. They were down 16-0. Okay, he got a one-run home run. Okay. From Dina in Damascus, she writes, I don't know how many emails I've sent. I don't know what percentage of them were read, but I do know this. Up until this email, the number of times I've mentioned my alma mater is zero. Eat it, Elliot. Dean and Damascus, graduate of Cornell University and Johns Hopkins University, and episode number 53. <laughs> this is aimed at Olshansky. <laughs> Boom. From Steve Hansen in Maumee, M-A-U-M-E-E, Maumee, Ohio. Your reflection on Jason Taper's golf ball email had Dr. Seuss written all over it. Could it have been in a tree or in a bush no one could would see? Or in the lake, for goodness sake, through tributaries by a snake, or buried in a trap, you see, cause of OTGBIP. Regardless, it's a mystery that Jason Tapor posed to me. That's really good. It's Steve Hans. That's yes. really good. From Tyler Etchenkamp, formerly of Wayne, Nebraska, now Lincoln, Nebraska. It's about chickens. Wayne, Nebraska hosts the annual Wayne Chicken Show every summer. Dating back to 1981, festivities include the world's largest chicken dance, oh, sure. Halloween, a hot wing eating contest, and the national cluck-off, which is exactly <laughs> what it sounds like, a chicken imitation contest. Two winners have been guests on The Tonight Show. Yes, that Tonight Show. Once for Norfolk, Nebraska's own Johnny Carson, once for Jay Leno. So why do we do this? No reason. Seriously, we aren't a producer of chickens or eggs or anything. We just do it. Every year, it's the bleeping chickens. Holy God <laughs> almighty. <laughs> From Alex Lau. I've been in somewhat of a slump with your show lately in terms of emails. Haven't been able to figure out why. I asked myself, am I no longer funny? When my ego wouldn't allow me to believe that I searched for other answers. Then listening to this last week of shows, it finally hit me. All you've been doing recently is talking about life on a farm. Cows and milk and chickens. As someone from Long Island who has only otherwise lived in Washington, D.C., Hoboken, New Jersey, and New York City, how am I supposed to relate to any of this, as interesting as it may be? Get back to talking about the neuroses of city folks so I have some material to work with here. City chicken. From John Hutchinson in Duncan in British Columbia, a.k.a. the land of the great majestic soda bear. 
On Thursday's show, while reading an email describing the end of life cycle for egg-laying chickens, <laughs> Nigel opined that it's not a great retirement plan. You replied, it ends badly. It ends. It does for everyone. Speak for yourself, pal. I don't know about you, but I have no plans to become pet food or soup. At least no plans known to me. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage may dispute this. From Carla Corrado. So disappointed that you talked about a small town in Ohio was Versailles, not Galena. Mistakes were made. Yes. Love yes. Carla She's great. From Mark Graff at Hill Air Force Base in Utah. I noted an Azores reference on Wednesday when you wondered about where some of the 36 billion chickens exist on Earth. Yes. While I can't comment on chickens in the Azores, here's a, another little known fact about animals living among us. The Azores. My first overseas duty station with the Air Force are not just nine beautiful volcanic islands in the North Atlantic, but are known for having a more than two to one cow to human ratio. The island boasts hundreds of thousands of cows to only tens of thousands of people. One species is even considered protected because they're part of Portuguese heritage in the islands. So a two to one bovine to human ratio, that's utterly amazing. I'll be here all week, folks, with the bad cow puns. <laughs> I think, you know, I think that's really sort of nice, right? I mean, it's nice okay, cow, one sure. more, a couple more. Chris Bansells in Forest Hills, Maryland. So let me get this straight. Someone corrects you once on the pronunciation of Versailles, Ohio, and it's no problem, but Lake Orion or Orion is still a mystery to you? Come yes. on, man. Yes, it is. Um, from Ryan Coyle in Charleston, West Virginia. In case anybody is wondering, Versailles, Ohio is roughly 100 miles and two hours from Galena, Ohio. This is the stupidest email I've ever written. Well, that's information for From Carla. Steve Arnold, a relocated Aussie. Been in the States for 20-plus years, and I'm semi-retired in Prescott, Arizona. Big fan of the show, and the reason I'm in the USA, listen to your podcast on long car rides with me. About 15 years ago, while living in Charlottesville, Virginia, we were out at dinner. Got up from our booth, saw a green Coles shopping bag, C-O-L-E-S, one of the two major grocery chains down under, on the floor next to the neighboring booth. I said, been to Australia? Two young couple with two kids? No, we're Aussies down from the embassy in D.C. Oh, where is home, I asked. Adelaide, South Australia, they said. I said, same. What suburb? Waddle Park. I went to Norwood High, which was next to Waddle Park. Some of my friends lived in Waddle Park. What street, they asked. Well, that was over 30 years ago. I remember a small, funnily named street, Loma Linda Drive. We live on Loma Linda Drive. Who was your friend? Mick Davey. He was a genius and went to a complete doctorate in mathematics in Cambridge in 1974. Haven't seen him since 1977. We live next door to his dad, <laughs> Keith Davey. Of course. We exchanged emails, and I finally caught up with Mick and had lunch with him in London a few years ago. Small world. That's amazing. It, all of these things are amazing. From Luke Reader. My name is Lucas from Bentonville, Arkansas. Emailed once about bike helmet safety. And while in a Dallas coffee shop, we sat beside eight men in Rivian jackets. That's that car that oh, we yes, had talked the about, the Rivian. As it was the only seat open, the person who led to be by marriage and I had to endure what felt like hours of them talking about their charging habits and how much their lives have been changed since making the switch. They made Subaru drivers seem palatable. <laughs> I need that jacket. From Mark Becker in Silver Spring, Maryland. I woke up this morning. I looked at my alarm clock. The number said 511, and all I could think of was not very good. <laughs> I've been listening to your show for far too long. From Jim Coleman. Not that Jim Not Coleman. that Jim Coleman, no. Thanks for reading my email. Made my day one thing. The Wayne, Pennsylvania, where I live, is one town west of Villanova, outside Philadelphia, not Wayne County. Not important, but I thought I would let you know. From Peter Jennings. Not that Peter Jennings. Always enjoy your dialogue with Barry's Verluga. 
But you guys came to the conclusion that Washington, D.C. is currently the worst city with four professional teams. Sorry. But as a native Michigander, it hurts me to say it's not even close. Detroit is hands-down winner for being losers. All four franchises are just awful, with no hope in sight. And please don't say the Lions have turned the corner. They are a jinxed franchise. Okay, the, none of them made the playoffs. No. But the Lions beat the Packers on the last Sunday night game of the season, knocking the Packers out. And it looked like the Lions had turned the corner. Yeah. Whereas nothing is turned the corner in Washington. They're still headed down in Washington. Yeah. So I don't know about that. I don't know about that. From Ryan Coyle. Didn't we just read from Ryan Coyle? Um, it says, it's rain, it rained in Charleston, West Virginia today. Please tell Pablo. And he writes, chance number two for Tony to get the joke. I get the joke. <laughs> Pablo's my son. I get the joke. We used to tell Michael. It rained. You know, I get Still it. Still have the voicemail. Ryan. I get it. Block get by it. block updates. <laughs> it's the best. And one more. From Bill Keister in Kensington, Maryland. Really, Mr. Tony, when prompted by your son to, quote, name one trip you enjoyed when we were kids, which for most humans would presume that you went with your kids and not just a trip you took during the time when your kids were in fact kids, but you fumble for a moment to come up with a baseball game, which is both not a trip, but it's also well-established you would spend these baseball trips in press boxes, leaving your children to fend for themselves. I imagine being watched by an usher named Eddie, whom you met that afternoon. But after that, you immediately thought of a lovely work trip to Portugal. You didn't specify if your kids were there, but if they were there, their presence certainly had no impact on the pleasant memories of eating olives. This felt like the time Sarah Palin was asked where she got her information from, and she fumbled for minutes to come up with the name of a single source. All she had to do was name a newspaper. Perhaps if there had been a pony ride on one of the family trips, it would have popped to the top of your memories <laughs> in Joy Ingleside. Everyone to wear white. That's the nastiest email. I'm saving that. And the crowd engaged in a hearty la cheeserie to the folks from Seattle.